Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning, morning, morning. Good morning. Great to see you all. PJ. I'm not PJ. Actually, I am. I'm Philip John. So you're right. I am PJ. Um, welcome. Great to see you. Uh, really good to be here. How many of you got sunburnt this week in the sun? Yeah, I did last yesterday. Um, really, really good to see you. And I'd just love to extend my welcome to you if you're here as a visitor. Thank you so much for coming to church to be with us. We really, really appreciate that. Thank you for coming. And uh, realize that sometimes stepping foot into a church can be a daunting experience or a new experience or just an unusual experience. And uh, I just want to thank you so much for taking the time to be with us this morning. We so, so appreciate having you here. And I hope you're enjoying yourselves. And I also, just before we get into the Word of God, I wanted to thank you, those of you that have been praying for me the last couple of weeks, because I've not been very well. Um, a couple of Tuesdays ago, I woke up at six o'clock in the morning with the most excruciating stomach pain that I've known to man. Let's just put it that way. The most extreme pain ever known to man. And I was literally writhing around on our kind of, um, in our lounge floor. And I was kind of, Carol, help me. Um, and I didn't know what was going on. I thought my appendix had burst or something had happened like that. And anyway, uh, Matt, our, our lodger, he rushed us into A&E. And uh, I literally kind of crawled into A&E, sick bucket in one hand. Now, I was very grateful afterwards. Matt said, the one thing that I managed to do was keep my manners through the whole ordeal. He said, I didn't swear once, which I thought was an achievement. So I crawled into A&E, and then they whisked me in, and uh, they put that much morphine in a kind of needle, put it straight in, no change at all. They put a second thing of morphine in, no change at all. I'm literally screaming in agony. And then they put a small unknown substance in my body, which took me to a really happy place. <laughs> and I'm trying to find out the name of what that was because it really, it really worked a treat. It was brilliant. And um, anyway, I was diagnosed with kidney stones. And um, kidney stones apparently is... Is, is on a par with have, giving birth. So it's like the same kind of pain. So I, so I'm just telling you what they told me. I'm not saying whether it's true or not. But um, anyone else ever had kidney stones here? Can we just like have a group hug maybe at the front after the, after the service? Let's just hold each other and just thank the Lord that we made it through. And uh, just to say, all you mothers here, I've just got a new sense of sympathy, solidarity, understanding, appreciation for all that you went through. Thank you. And now, just to say, I am yet to actually produce a kidney stone. Exactly. Yeah, some of you just realized what that means. Um, now, one of my, my favorite uh, preachers um, is a guy called Smith Wigglesworth, who was a Pentecostal pioneer. And for three and a half years, he suffered with extreme kidney stones. He refused any medical help. And for three and a half years, he passed hundreds of kidney stones. Like he had a jar full by the end. And often, midway through preaching, he would have to run off the platform, pass a kidney stone, and then he would carry on. <laughs> So I now have new appreciation for what a trooper that man was. So you can pray for me while I'm preaching. If I run off the stage, you know the reason why. So anyway, thank you for your prayers and thank you for your love. I really, really appreciate that. So if you've got a Bible, you might like to turn to John and chapter 10. And we're going to be reading some verses there together. And the, the next couple of weeks, we're going to 
focus in on one particular subject. And it's really off the back of a dream that Caroline Holly had uh, last year. And the punchline of the dream was that it's time for us to fall in love with the prophetic again. It's time for us to fall in love with the prophetic again. And so we're just going to explore some prophetic themes the next couple of weeks together. Now, you know, if you're new here, I realize that the word prophetic can mean lots of things to lots of different people. For some of us, when I say the word prophetic, we think crazy. That's, when I think prophetic, I think crazy. People acting in a crazy way. I think about people on street corners with sandwich boards, yelling and shouting and looking angry and like they want to kill me. That's what I think of when I think prophetic. Maybe others of you just think slightly eccentric, kind of weird behavior. And, you know, there is actually quite a lot of eccentric, weird prophetic behavior in the Bible. But sometimes we think that's what prophetic is, is acting strange, being weird. I mean, and I've seen plenty of that. Christians sometimes do little to dispel that particular myth. Um, how many of you have realized that that's true? Um, uh, you know, I, I remember sitting in one meeting once and this blesser, this, this lady, every time she got excited by something God was doing, she would whip out a little tin whistle from her handbag and she would play a little tune. And then it would go back in the bag. And then the meeting would carry on and then she'd be like, and then back... And I'm like, what is going on? <laughs> and it was just slightly eccentric behavior. I remember once counseling a young man who in the middle of a meeting felt God tell him to take off his shirt, stand on his chair and whirl it around his head like this. And so I had the job of trying to help him with that particular encounter. Um, we, we had someone here not so long ago before the start of one of our conference sessions. There was hardly anyone in the room except this guy and a few others. And he, he, he had an Israel scarf and he lifted it above his head, again stood on a chair and shouted, The Day of Atonement has come! The Day of Atonement has come! And then he was wrestled to the ground by Manjeet or someone on the West <laughs> hospitality team. But, you know, prophetic. What does prophetic mean to you? I realize that will mean different things to different ones of us, perhaps depending on our background, our experience. And actually, when we come to the scriptures, what we find is that hearing God is a completely normal business if you are a follower of Jesus. You all get to hear your father, often in completely ordinary, normal ways that don't involve taking off your shirt or blowing a shofar or any of those kind of things. Because Peter, when he stands up on the day of Pentecost, that first day where the Holy Spirit was poured out in the church, he says this, God says in these last days, I'm going to pour out my spirit on everybody and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. One of the signs that we are now in the age of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is that we all get to hear God if we're a follower of Jesus. It's not for a select few. It's not for an exclusive elite. If you are a son or a daughter, you get to hear your father. That's your birthright. It's your inheritance. Now, just hands up if you are a son or a daughter in this place. Okay, if someone didn't put their hand up, I'm not quite sure which category you're in. Okay, you're a son or you're a daughter. That means, you know, sometimes we look at ourselves and we think, wow, I just, I struggle to hear God. You know, I'm not one of those people that God really speaks to. He speaks to other people. Well, I'm sorry, you're not that special. You are a son and a daughter. It's your inheritance to hear the Father. It's for all of us. 
And it's time for us to fall in love with the prophetic all over again. And so the passage that we're going to look at in our Bible today is a passage which begins to give us some just basic handles on what it looks like to grow in the prophetic, to grow in hearing God so that we can pass that on to other people. And we're going to look at, there's three truths, we'll probably only have time to look at two of them, but we'll carry on next week. You're welcome. So those three truths are, to grow in the prophetic, it needs relational recognition, spiritual signage, and beautiful boundaries. So we're going to dive in at John chapter 10 and read from verse 1. This is Jesus speaking. He says, Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. And then just skip down verse 14. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep also that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too, he's talking about you, will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The first truth about growing in the prophetic is that it takes relational recognition to hear his voice. And the passage that we're looking at today in John chapter 10, you get this sense as you read verse 1 where Jesus says, truly I tell you Pharisees, we get this sense that Jesus is continuing a conversation. In other words, we need to know what's happened in chapter 9 to understand what is happening in chapter 10. You understand that when you read the Bible, context provides meaning. Why it's so important that you don't just cherry pick a verse, but actually you ask yourself, what does this mean in the context in which it was written? So for example, today I could say, that man is on fire. And it means two completely different things depending on the context. If I'm at a sporting event, it means one thing. If I'm in front of a burning building, it means something completely different. Context always provides meaning. So when you read the scripture, ask yourself, what did this mean in the context in which it was said? And Jesus is continuing a conversation with the Pharisees because of what has just taken place in John chapter 9. And what has taken place there is this stunning miracle of a man who is born blind but is healed at the hands of Jesus. It's an absolutely stunning miracle. And we know that the two bookends of this story are about this moment, this man who received his sight. Chapter 9, verse 1, we read this. As Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. Then you fast forward, the other bookend, chapter 10, 21, ends with this. Others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? That's the beginning and the end of our story. The gooey sandwich filling in the middle is, I am the good shepherd. 
My sheep listen to my voice. They recognize the difference between a stranger and the Savior. This is all one story. This is the context of what is going on. And John, the writer of this particular gospel, is drawing a very, very deliberate contrast. And his message is this. How is it that a man born blind can physically receive his sight and yet you Pharisees remain spiritually blind even when the shepherd shows up right at your front door? John is turning up the contrast. He's saying, this man was born blind, yet he received his sight. How is it, Pharisees, that you are like strangers to me and you cannot recognize the sound of the shepherd's voice when he speaks to you? My sheep hear my voice and they recognize that it's me. That's what this passage is all about. It's all one story. And this is the first truth about growing in our hearing of the shepherd's voice is that it takes relational recognition. If you want to learn how to hear God, it comes out of friendship, not formula. Let me ask you this question this morning. Honestly, would you say that you are a casual acquaintance of God or a friend of God? I think one of the differences between a casual acquaintance of God is that often casual acquaintances will only talk to God when there's something that they need from Him. And I've discovered this about myself, that I pray really well in a crisis. <laughs> you discovered that about your own life. When I know that I need something for myself or for someone else I love, man, I go to prayer because I know sometimes He's the only one that can provide the answer. And yet, truth be told, if that's the only time that I talk to Jesus, really I've become a casual acquaintance rather than a friend. Because friendship is about an ongoing lifestyle of communication, of worship, of loving him, of saying, I just want to be in your presence because I want to know you. That's the difference between someone who's a stranger who struggles to understand what God is saying and a friend who recognizes the voice of the shepherd. There is a difference. The Pharisees were strangers. And you know, it's very possible for you to be saved but remain a stranger to God. It's possible for you to go to church year after year after year and live your life through other people's stories but never really become a friend of God yourself. But there is an invitation from the shepherd who says, Come, come and listen to my voice. I want to lead you to green pastures. My sheep follow me. They recognize when it's me speaking. I wonder if some of us maybe treat God a little bit like we treat Google. <laughs> you know, you require no relationship to operate Google, but man, you get some quick answers. You know, you, you can punch in any question, you know, how do I get to Coventry? Brrr, pop, there's your answer. Brilliant. What should I do with the rest of my life? Brrr, pop, it'll probably give you an answer. Google has the answer for everything. But by the way, don't Google kidney stones. Particularly, don't look at images of kidney stones because it will scare you, particularly if you have kidney stones when you Google it. But Google is, is this platform for just providing instant gratification for our, our needs, the things we want to know about. And yet the trouble is, we often treat God in the same way. We're like, God, speak to me about this. Why won't you speak to me, Lord? <laughs> We treat God in this instant gratification way and then we buy the lie that, well, I can't hear God. He doesn't speak to me. 
We cannot treat God like we treat Google. This is the reason why. God is fundamentally a relational being. He's a God who prizes friendship, who prizes fellowship, who works on proximity, on intimacy, on closeness. Do you understand that when you got saved, you got grafted into an eternal community of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who have been talking to one another and loving one another and been in perfect community for aeons past, and you have now been grafted into the eternal community of the Godhead. In fact, 2 Peter 1 4 says that you are now partakers of the divine nature. You have been grafted into what God has always been doing. He is community in and of himself. And that's why you can't relate to God like you relate to Google, because that's not how God works. He is not a slot machine God where you say, pop, there's my prayer, please give me the answer. That's not how God operates. He loves, he grieves, he thinks, he desires, he has compassion, he has feelings. God is a person. And fundamentally, if you want to grow in the prophetic, it comes from friendship with God. Relational accuracy, relational proximity is tethered to prophetic accuracy. And there's an invitation from the shepherd to say, come and know me, know my voice. You know, have you ever wondered why God speaks so often in whispers? And if you've ever had that conversation with God, you're like, God, I just wish I could hear you more clearly. Like, I wish you would just speak in such a clear way that I just knew it was you. And yet so often what God seems to do is speak to us in whispers rather than loud shouts. You ever experienced that? You ever asked, wondered why? Why does God do it that way? If I tell you the reason, to hear a whisper, you've got to lean in close. If you want to hear a whisper, you, you, you've actually got to get close. And that's the purpose of God in the way that he communicates so often with us. Is that he wants more than just to speak to you. He wants you to catch his heartbeat. To actually feel the things that he feels. To know him. To feel the things and see the things that he sees. This, I love this encounter that Elijah has in the Old Testament in 1 Kings 19. Elijah was a man who heard God very, very clearly. And there's this moment where Elijah is hiding in a cave. He's afraid. He's run away. He's given away to anxiety. He's probably very depressed at the time. And he's standing in a cave. And this is what God says to Elijah. He said, The Lord said to Elijah, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? To hear a whisper, you've got to lean in. You've got to want to, more than grow in the prophetic, you've got to long for a person. You've got to long to know the heartbeat of the Savior. 
And it says of Moses that to other prophets, God would speak to them in riddles and in visions and in dreams. But to Moses, God would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. Are you God's friend? Are you God's friend? You know, if I could have one thing written on my tombstone at the end of my life, it would be this. Phil was a friend of God. More than anything else. It's the thing that matters more than anything else. Whether you are a friend of God. Not just an attender of religious meetings. Not just a collector of information. But someone who knows God. Do do you know God so that when he whispers, you hear what he's saying? Jesus is saying to these Pharisees, this is a tragedy. You are meant to be Israel's teachers. How is it that you are strangers to me? My sheep hear my voice. They recognize when it's me speaking. There are so many things that we can do to become the friends of God. Here's just three things. Firstly, make space in your life for friendship with God. It doesn't get any simpler than this. Listen, if you are too busy to pray, then you are too busy. If you're too busy to pray, then you're too busy. No one can make you pray. No one can make you or force you to do that. But there has to be something inside of you that says, I want to be a friend of God. Therefore, I'm going to make space somehow in my life. And you know, at the busiest points in my life are the points where I've had to ask God, help me, Lord, to find space for you. And God is infinitely creative. He can find a thousand and one different ways for you to get space with him. Even in the busiest, most precious seasons of your life, he will make a way. Because I tell you, where your treasure is, there your heart is. Where you put your time, that is where fruit is going to grow. Make space for him. Just to think about God. Just ask yourself, is the ambient background noise of my life quiet enough so that I can hear him speak. You know, Bill Hybels is a pastor in Chicago. He has this graph and he calls his graph more speed, less soul. And there's two lines on his graph. One represents the speed of living, the speed of your life, the, the pace that you're going at. And then the other line represents the health of your soul. And he says, the sweet spot is where your speed and your soul are going in tandem together. And there's the sense of my pace is also able to feed my soul so that I am a healthy, healthy man and woman of God. He said, what I've noticed in my own life is that when my speed increases, my soul begins to suffer. If I don't at that moment make some choices about how I'm going to be the friend of God. How's that going for you? How's your speed versus soul axis going? Maybe some of you, you feel like, gosh, my soul is so unhealthy right now. Well, maybe look at the pace of your life. Ask, how can I create space just to be, just to meditate, just to think, even just to be bored? Do you know sometimes your most creative moments come out of boredom? <laughs> you know, those moments where you're bored, sometimes the answer is not to put on Netflix straight away. Sometimes when you're bored, it's a moment just to say, maybe this is a moment where he wants to speak to me. Make space. Secondly, read the scriptures. 
Do you know, there is something intrinsically powerful about reading the Word of God. Sometimes, I'll be honest, I read the Bible and then I forget what I've read five minutes later. Anybody had that or is that just me? But here's the thing. Reading the Bible is not just a transaction of information into your head. It's a transaction of life to your spirit. In the same way that you can't remember what you ate seven days ago for lunch. You know, when you read the Word of God, it's doing you good, whether you can remember it intellectually or not. There is a spiritual power in reading the Word of God. When you open these pages with a hungry heart and say, Holy Spirit, will you speak to me? Power is released. Life is released. There is life in this book. There is life in these words. So open the pages of Scripture. You, you have the most beautiful opportunity every single day, which is to hear the voice of the shepherd speak to you through this book. And yes, you may not always understand what you read. You may need to go away and ask further questions. You may need to find someone who can help you understand, but read it anyway. Read it every day, like you would eat your meals every single day. Read the scriptures. Because in that way, you begin to tap in to the wavelength of heaven. And you know, one of the massive challenges that's facing an up-and-coming generation, the next 20 years, one of the biggest challenges is going to be biblical illiteracy in this nation including inside the church. Biblical illiteracy. People who come and worship with songs, but actually never pick up their Bible and read it. It's going to be one of the biggest challenges facing our generation that's coming through. I had this story of one Sunday school teacher who went into a, take an RE class in school, and he, he started by asking this class, who knocked down the walls of Jericho? And little Johnny put his hand up, and he's like, Sir, I don't know who knocked them down, but it wasn't me. And the RE teacher was just like, just a bit taken aback that there was no biblical knowledge. So he went to the, the head teacher and he said, listen, I've been taking this RE class and I, I asked this question, who knocked down the walls of Jericho? And Johnny put his hand up and he said, well, it wasn't me. And then the head teacher interrupted and he said, well, Johnny's an honest lad. If he said he didn't do it, then he probably didn't. <laughs> Biblical illiteracy. Read the scriptures. And then also steward your God's stories. Just, just take like treasure every story that you hear of God moving. Treasure it. Write it down. Read it. Retell it at your dining table. Retell it with your friends. Remember them as you're praying. Steward your stories. And in this way, build friendship with God. Next thing we see in this passage is that God will often speak to us through spiritual signs. And John 10 verse 6, we read this, that Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Did you know that God's first language is not English, or Polish, or Punjabi, or whatever your first language might be? God's first language actually is a spiritual language. And Jesus here is using spiritual language to speak, and the Pharisees just cannot comprehend what on earth he's talking about. Because often God will speak to us through signs, both in the ordinary and the extraordinary. You know, just like my experience of going to the hospital and receiving medical care, God is a healer. He doesn't mind whether he does it through medicine or whether he does it through a miraculous intervention. He loves it all because he's a healer. That's his nature. He uses the ordinary and the extraordinary. 
And it's the same with the prophetic. He speaks to us in sometimes extraordinary ways, you know, through dreams and through visions and angelic encounters and all these different things that we read of in Scripture. I remember being in New Zealand and teaching about dreams. And that night, one lady went home and she said, Lord, I've never had a prophetic dream, but tonight I would like to have a dream where you give me my forgotten PIN number for my bank account. She tried twice. She only had one more attempt in the hole in the wall before it cut her off. And so she prayed that before going to sleep. That night she has a dream, and in the dream she gets four digits. So she goes to the cash point in the wall the very next day, puts the four digits in, and she's into a bank account. God can speak to us in extraordinary ways like that, but also just very ordinary ways through the everyday conversations sometimes that we have with one another, with the the things that we notice, the things that capture our attention, the things that we feel. God uses all of these things. Again, a church that I know up in Northumberland were praying that God would give them a shopfront building that they could start some social action work from. And they'd looked at a number and they had an appointment on Monday morning to go and see another one. And the day before, they had a prayer meeting. And in this prayer meeting, a prophetic word came that said, the church to me is like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. You are my bride and I'm dressing you in my wedding dress. And it was this whole kind of pictorial language about the church being beautiful to God, like a bride to a husband. So the very next day, they turn up at this shop front on the front of Bedlington High Street in in southeast Northumberland. And suddenly they realize that on the front of this shop is this sign, J.C.'s Bridal Boutique. (laughs) J.C.'s Bridal Boutique. Now, if you can't read that sign, I don't know what's going on. And anyway, they they leased the shop and they've been running social action there for the last 10 years to great, great effect in that community. Sometimes God speaks through the ordinary things like a sign on a shop front. He can do it any which way he wants, but we've got to learn to tap into the language of the Holy Spirit and say, Lord, help me to understand the things that you're saying. Because the way that he will speak to you is probably very different to the person you're sitting next to because God speaks out of relational intimacy. Take, for example, the way that God speaks through what's just happened in chapter 9 in John's Gospel. Because the healing of a man born blind was more than just a stunning miracle. It was like God speaking through a loud hailer. Let me just tell you what's going on in the miracle of the man born blind. John very deliberately tells us that this, this man didn't go blind over time, but that he was born blind. That was very, very significant. The reason being that Jewish readers of the Bible had two categories of miracle. The first category of miracle was any miracle that any old Joe anointed by the Holy Spirit could do under God's power. That was the first category of miracle. And there's lots of them in the Old Testament. But there was a second category of miracle, the likes of which could only be performed by Israel's Messiah. They were called messianic miracles. Miracles that only God's champion who was sent from heaven to put the world to rights could perform. There were at least three messianic miracles that were reserved only for Messiah. And when you saw them, you knew that Messiah was standing right in front of you. Number one, someone cured from leprosy. 
Number two, a mute man speaking. And number three, a man born blind receiving his sight. Here's one example of where they got that from in Isaiah 35. Verse 5, it says, And when he comes, Messiah, he will open the eyes of the blind and unplug the ears of the deaf. The lame will leap like a deer, and those who cannot speak will sing for joy. So John deliberately tells us this man was born blind. Jesus gets hold of him. He gets mud from the earth. He wipes it on the man's eyes. And then he tells him to go and wash in the pool of Siloam. Now, we may just read that verse as, well, the pool of Siloam must have been the nearest swimming pool. But that's not what's going on. The pool of Siloam was deliberately picked by Jesus for the blind man to go and wash his eyes in. The reason being is that at the time this miracle took place, there was a massive feast happening in Jerusalem called the Feast of Tabernacles. It was one of the biggest Jewish feasts. And at that time, Jerusalem would have been packed full of thousands and thousands of visitors. And to get to the pool of Siloam at the southeast corner of Jerusalem, you would have to walk from the place the miracle took place right through the center of Jerusalem's bustling city down to the pool of Siloam where the man was instructed to wash his eyes. More than that, the pool of Siloam was the focal point during the Feast of Tabernacles. It was like the key religious site during that particular feast. And what would happen is that the Jewish priests would come down from the top of the hill where the temple was. They would walk down the hill. They would get water from the pool of Siloam. They would carry it back to the temple, pour it into bronze basins, and then they would be celebrating and thanksgiving in the nation of Israel. In other words, if Jesus chose the most densely populated moment at that very time to send the man born blind to wash his eyes in. Additionally, the word Siloam comes from the word Hebrew, the Hebrew word for apostle. So Jesus sends the man born blind to the apostolic pool to perform the messianic miracle in front of as many possible witnesses as he could find. The man goes there, he washes his eyes, and thousands of witnesses suddenly see this miracle that was reserved for the Messiah. This is more than just a physical healing. This is God speaking through a loud hailer. The Messiah has come. I am Israel's shepherd. I am Israel's savior. Opening the eyes of blind was the messianic miracle. It's why when John the Baptist has a crisis of faith, the very first thing Jesus says to go and tell John, go and tell John what you see, the eyes of the blind are opened. Of the 26 miracles that are specifically recorded of Jesus, six of them are of opening the eyes of the blind. There is no recorded instance of the blind seeing in the Old Testament. And yet suddenly this is the moment where God decides to speak through a spiritual sign. And yet even so, the Pharisees cannot recognize Jesus when he's speaking. Let me tell you, God is speaking to you a thousand different ways every day. Sometimes through the ordinary, sometimes through the extraordinary. But can I encourage us to be a people who every day wake up thinking, Holy Spirit, will he speak to me? And will he help me recognize your voice when I hear it? And I'll finish with these words. These are the words of Isaiah, but they're speaking about Jesus. And I can just imagine Jesus reading these verses as he prays. And this is the attitude for all who want to grow in the prophetic. This says this, The sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue 
to know the word that sustains the weary. He wakens me morning by morning, wakens my ear to listen like one being instructed. The sovereign Lord has opened my ears. I have not been rebellious and I have not turned away. If you want to grow in hearing the voice of God, make that your prayer. Wake up morning by morning. Start your day by saying, Holy Spirit, give me an ear which listens to you. Give me an instructed tongue. Give me words that can sustain weary people. Help me to be someone who doesn't turn away, but listens to what you're saying and recognizes the shepherd's voice. Amen. Why don't we stand together and let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We've just got a couple of minutes before we release parents. Why don't you just, where you're standing now, just take a moment to close your eyes and just come to this good shepherd, Jesus. He's alive. He's present here this morning with us. Thank you, Lord. I just want to encourage you, if you would recognize that you, maybe you're a Christian, but you would say, I'm not actually really, I don't feel like I'm God's friend right now. I don't feel like I've been making great decisions to walk with him. Then I just want to encourage you where you are just to maybe just simply lift your hands to Jesus and just draw close to him. There is beautiful mercy and beautiful grace in this room. Jesus is a, a master at restoring relationship, even our relationship with him. Maybe you're here and you've never made a decision to become the friend of God. We'll just take a moment to do that right now. It can happen simply, quickly. Put your faith in Jesus. Say, Jesus, I believe that you died for me. I believe you rose again. I want to be your friend. That's, that's, just, that's it. It's as simple as that. This is simple as that. You can cross from death to life in a moment just by believing in Jesus. Just come to him wherever you are right now. Say, I want to be your friend. I want to be your friend. I want to lean in and hear the whispers. Hebrews 3 says that today if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Lord, I just pray for all of us that you would make us gentle-hearted in the listening to your words. We want to grow in our love for the prophetic because we long to be with you. We long to be called friends of God. Lord, let that be the legacy that we leave. God, in our families and our friendships with those around us that people would know that man, that woman, they walked with God in their lifetime. When that man or woman prayed, God listened. He answered their prayers. He spoke to them. Lord, we repent of not making space. And we choose today the greater thing. Thank you that you said to Mary that she had chosen the greater thing. Lord, we make that decision this morning. We say we long to hear your voice. We long to hear you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Just keep receiving. We will need to release the parents.
to collect your children, but we're going to keep receiving in the meantime as well. So as Phil was praying, one of the things that I saw, I just saw objections just flying through the air. You know, in Jeremiah, when God calls him to a conversation with him, Jeremiah instantly says, but, but I am too young. And I just saw objections um, here flying through the room, but I am too young, I'm too old, I'm a woman, or I'm not educated enough, or I've tried this before. And I just feel that the Father is saying, objections are going right now. Because friendship with God is not about working hard, it's about grace. It's about grace. It is something you didn't deserve, but he still wants to be close to you. So just receive that right now. Just receive that right now. Maybe just put your hand on your heart. Because that's where Jesus lives, you know. <laughs> and I want you to ask this question. And it might sound a bit silly, but it is actually about connection with him. And maybe just repeat after me out loud. Jesus, how did I make you smile today? Smile today. Just receive from a moment. Have a conversation with him. <laughs> don't, don't feel complicated. Just a simple word, a simple memory. You know, for me, it is not always about the big moments, although I love them. It is about turning your affection to him in a moment. Several moments in the day, actually. Just turn your affection to him and say, I love you. Jesus, thank you that you're in my heart. If you're not a Christian here this morning, just say that. Jesus, I welcome you in my heart. I want to know you. Thank you, God, for your presence here. Thank you that you're here, that you are God, Emmanuel, God with us. And that you are God with us on Monday and on Tuesday and the rest of the week. This is not the holy moment of the week. But that you have friendship for us this whole week. Whether you're in an accountancy firm, whether you are cleaning offices this week, wherever you are this week, Jesus is with you. And he's ready to release life and friendship to you and to the people around you.